in here have started something that will begin excitingly, but it will turn into a sense of drudgery. I'm talking about New Year's resolutions. A little boy went to his dad and he said, Daddy, what is a New Year's resolution? And the daddy thought for a moment and he said, Well, son, a New Year's resolution is a to-do list for the first week of January. One guy, he made a New Year's resolution. He said, my resolution is to lose just enough weight so my belly doesn't jiggle when I brush my teeth in the morning. That's pretty good. Another guy was thinking, man, I need to lose weight. I need to go on a diet. I need to exercise. Oh, look, there's cake. <laughs> and that's a lot of times how it is. We have these good intentions. We have these good plans. But before we know it, we go back to our normal way of living. The latest study shows that only about 8% of people keep and live out their New Year's resolutions. 80% of people will not get past the month of January in their commitments. The top five New Year's resolutions are number one, to lose weight. Gym memberships rise between 40 and 50% every January, and so a lot of folks have good intentions. Number two, to manage debt, save money. Number three, to get physically fit. Number four, to eat healthy. And number five, to learn something new. New Year's resolutions are often done in reflection as we think about the past, we take a personal inventory, and we look forward to the future of what we can do better. No doubt for every one of us, as we look back at 2021, there are some victories there are some areas of success. There are some areas that we have done well at, but there are also some areas of defeat. There are some areas that we are ashamed. There are some things in our life that did not bring pleasure to the Lord, and those are before us. But we can't go back and change the past, but we can change the future. We can reflect over the past and become more and more like Christ as we move forward to the future. What I want to present to you this morning is more important than losing weight. It's more important than six-pack abs. It's more important than a strong emergency fund. It's how to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Two things I want you to see. I know our time is, is quick, but two things I want you to see this morning. That we must passionately pursue Jesus and we must be liberated from legalism. We must passionately pursue Jesus, and we must be liberated from legalism. You're in Philippians, but now go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, this is a psalm that I gravitate to every January. It's such a good psalm, and my, my heart longs for this for my life. I haven't, I haven't got this in my heart, but as I read it, I'm challenged by it in such a str strong and a great way. Psalm 63, David is writing this, and I love as I read it because you can see a heart of passion for the Lord. Look at verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. This is not David saying, I want to be a better guy in the coming days. There's a longing within him. There's a passion that's stirring. And he says, Lord, I need you. Lord, I've got to have more of you. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. 
I think a lot of the church is content spiritually. We're just fine where we are, but David's not content. He's calling out, and he says, my soul is thirsting for you. My flesh is fainting for you. Continue in verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He says, your love is better than my very existence. It's better than my life. God is not some idea to think about intellectually. God is all-consuming. God is, is the, the most important thing in David's life and should be the most important thing in our lives. Continuing verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wing I will sing for joy. My soul clings for you. Your right hand upholds me. I think a lot of us get uncomfortable when we talk about this type of passion and this type of zeal. A lot of us begin to think, that's almost too radical. People are going to be kind of nervous around me if I start acting too spiritual. But David's not even looking for spirituality. He's looking for the Lord. It's like he says in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for the living God. Does my soul thirst for God? Does your soul, can you honestly say that it thirsts for God? Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Is this desperation something that typifies our life? As we seek the Lord, like Moses crying out in Exodus 33, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your glory. Can our preaching and our teaching and our prayers and our blogs and our tweets and our Facebook statuses and our conversations, do they all point to the fact that we are yearning for Jesus, that we need him on a deeper level, that we're not satisfied, we're not content, we're not complacent, but we are pushing forward? Are we more like Jesus today than we were at this time last year? Are we pushing to go to a deeper level? Or could it be that we've reached this point, we've reached this area in life that we're just content, and we feel satisfied, we feel secure, and so maybe we're just going through the motions. This is where Paul is going in Philippians chapter 3. Now go back to it, Philippians chapter 3. Albert Moeller says this, he says, no one who has truly experienced the transforming and redeeming power of the gospel can think of a life without passion. If you've really experienced the power of the gospel, your life will have passion in the way that you live for him. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. Now, Paul is writing here in Philippians chapter 3, and he's writing from prison. He's writing in these dire circumstances. Things are not pleasant in his life. But look where he begins, Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, 
Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul is writing from these bad circumstances, and I find it interesting. He tells us to rejoice in the Lord. A Roman prisoner is pleading with people who are free, and he tells them, you must rejoice. It reminds me that we can rejoice even when circumstances are bad around us. Amen? We can rejoice even when we look at that COVID tracker, and all of a sudden, the last two days, there is a huge spike, and we say, I don't know what's going to happen in the coming days. We can still rejoice. We can rejoice when the economy is going up and down and up and down and there's talk of hyperinflation and there's problems on every front and we feel like we're kind of lost and standing out here in the middle of nowhere. We can still rejoice, not because circumstances are good, but because God is good. And so we rejoice no matter what's going on around us. And Paul is writing and he gives this warning. He says to watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Now the question is, who are the dogs? The dogs are those who mark their faith by what they do or what they do not do. They had faith in Christ, but they added the works of the flesh. They are the Judaizers. They are evil because in their legalism, they require more than God does. And so they want to compare themselves. They want to exalt themselves. They want to become better than everybody else. And so they come up with this system, this system that I'm more spiritual than you. I'm more holy than you. I'm more religious than you are. And they get puffed up in their pride. And I just want to remind you, the Lord hates legalism. He hates legalism. It's something that all of us struggle with. It's something that we've got to watch in our churches. But what you'll see in the Gospels is that when Jesus comes, he has so much conflict with the religious because they are legalistic. He gives us an example in Luke chapter 18. You don't have to flip. Just listen to it. He told a parable. And some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. What do I do? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The dogs, they are those who want to lift their self up. They are this super spiritual individual. Legalism always leads us to compare. It leads us to say, I'm good spiritually because I'm better than Skip is. I'm good spiritually because I'm better than Randall is. I can look at his life and compare it to my life, and I feel good about me. But I want to tell you, that type of faith is empty. Legalism is any time we say Jesus plus something else. 
It puffs you up. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel adequate. It makes you feel like you've earned the favor of God. But let me remind you, we cannot earn the favor of God. You can't come to church enough. You can't give enough money. There's nothing you can do in your life. There's nothing I can do in my life to earn the favor of God. When we try to turn it into a works-based salvation, we turn Christianity into every other religion of the world, and it's not the same. It's entirely different. In Matthew 23, we don't have time to read it, but you see the seven woes of the Pharisees. They're all about the outside. They're all about the external. They're all about what they look like, but on the inside, it's like dead man's bones. And a lot of us religious folks, we have mastered the game. And the game is this. We can come into church and we can talk so spiritual, can't we? We can come to church and we put our best clothes on. I wear a suit one time a week. It's on Sundays. We come in, we put our best clothes on, we put our best tie on. We walk in the parking lot with our little holy stroll. We look like everything's good with our family. Hey, brother, how you doing? And we look so pious and so religious. We've mastered the game. On the outside, we look so pure and so clean and so righteous. But where are we on the inside? What about our heart? Where's our heart? Because remember, God sees our heart. What about our thought life? What do we think about? I remember I was, I was counseling a young man years ago. And uh, he was going through some struggles and some problems and so I took him out to dinner one evening, and we were talking, and uh, we were talking about his life and his struggles, and uh, I made the comment to him. I said, you come from such a, such a godly family, and he, he looked me in the eye, and he said, you have no idea who my parents really are. You have no idea. He said, my parents come to church, and they, they put on this front, but when we go home, they are nothing like that. I wonder how true that is of, of most of us. We come to church and we put something on and we, we look a certain way, but our heart is not like that. Hosea 6, 6, it says, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now back to Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There's a contrast. There's a contrast from the dogs to we, he says in verse 3. The word we, he's talking about those who are truly following the Lord. Not, not those who just have the physical act of circumcision, but those who in their heart, they're different. In their heart, they're longing for the things of God. There's a zeal and a passion within them, and he gives three things they do. They worship by the Spirit of God, they glory in Christ Jesus, and they put no confidence in the flesh. He says, it is empty when you put your confidence in you. Listen, I'm not enough, you're not enough, it's only the Lord that is enough. And to prove that point, he puts his life on the scale. Look at verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, you think you have a reason to boast? I have all the more reason to boast. And he lists two types of advantages, one by his birth and one that he attained. And at both of these, he excelled. He says, I've got these credentials. I was circumcised. I was a, a member with the Israelite tribe that gave Israel its first king. I speak the language of my people. I observe the law. I devoted myself to the law. I was zealous. I even went on to persecute the church. If you want to find somebody super religious, it was me. And some of us feel that way. What do we say? I go to church all the time. I go to early service when most people want to sleep in, but here I am. I go to my life group. I come back on Sunday night. I go on Wednesday night. I make sure and tithe, and I'm generous, and I even serve with those hoodlum bus kids. I do all of this stuff. Look at me. Look at what I've done, but look where Paul goes next. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Whatever good can come from the self-improvement project still does not earn a lick of grace from God. Playing the I'm good, I'm better game is like building this tower up to the heavens and it's never going to reach. Real good can come from never missing church. Real good comes from guarding what you watch and controlling your tongue, but as a means of righteousness, it is never enough. You can be a good person, you can look good, you can sound good, you can even smell good, but it's not enough to earn us favor in the sight of God. And so the first reminder is that we must liberate ourselves from legalism, and secondly, we must passionately pursue Jesus. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Everything else is negotiable. Everything else is able to be sacrificed. Can you say that? Can you say that whatever gain I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ? Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know what that means? It means nothing else compares. There, there's no comparison in my life. Everything is a loss compared to Jesus. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He uses this word rubbish. It means it's waste. It's a pile of garbage. Nothing in my life compares to Jesus. I'm passionately pursuing him. Listen, a lot of us, our problem is this. We want to follow the Lord. We know we should. We want to seek after the things of God, but we also want to be wealthy. We want to seek after the things of God, but we also want to chase our hobbies. We want to be faithful. We want to seek after these things, but there's so much more that's, that's pulling at us. So much of the world is pulling at us. We're a, a double-minded man, and we're unstable in all our ways. But, but this is what Paul says. When we really seek the Lord, we're going to look at all the stuff around us, and we're going to say, it's just garbage. Money doesn't compare to Jesus. Possessions don't compare to Jesus. My golf game, that doesn't compare to Jesus. 
Nothing compares to the Lord. Everything else is rubbish. Everything else is just a loss compared to him. I want you to think for just a moment. In your life, what is it that is fighting for that spot that only the Lord should have? In your life, what is it that's fighting for that number one spot? And you know it ought to be the Lord, but there's something else that keeps trying to claw its way back. Oh, to get this idea that there's nothing that compares. As I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know what he says? I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it demands from my life. I want to be found in Jesus. You know what we need as we go into 2022? What we need as we try to focus for the upcoming year, we need a heart and an attitude that says Jesus is greater than anything else. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it costs friendships or relationships. I don't care what people think of me. I want to be on fire for the things of God. When people see you, do they see a man or a woman who's on fire for the Lord? You say, well, Case, how, how do I know the answer to that? How often do you talk about the Lord? How often do you share your faith? How often do you minister to others? How often do you love others? How often do you serve others? How often do you give in to sinful temptations in your life and in your heart? You see, if we're not careful, we try to put it on what we do. Well, I, I go to church and I I'm involved in this ministry or that ministry. But do you really love the Lord? Reminds me of that text out of Matthew 7, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So on that day of judgment, the day that we stand before the Lord, on that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we preach? Didn't we, we teach and didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we go to church faithfully? Didn't we give a lot of our money? Didn't we do all of these things? Many works in your name. But they'll hear this response. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This ought to really catch our attention in the church. There are folks who do all these religious things. They've got all the right tasks done before them. They preach, they teach, they're involved in the ministries. But what do they not have? They don't have a relationship. He says, but I never knew you. You did a lot of good things. You were involved in a lot of areas, but I never knew you. I don't have the relationship with you. You see, the question is not this morning, what do you do? The question is not this morning, what do you know? Many of you, you know all the Bible stories. You know the scriptures, you know the text, but do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? There was a guy in the 2004 Olympics. His name was Matt Emmons, 
And he was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. And so he had his first two positions, and he was doing very well. All he had to do was hit the third target, and he would have the gold medal. But in what was described as a very rare event and such a high level of competition, he gets up in lane two, and he sets his rifle up, and he shoots, and he makes a perfect shot right in the bullseye. The problem is that he's in lane two, and he shot the target in lane three. And so instead of getting the gold medal, he missed out on all the medals, and he got eighth place. It wasn't because he was not working hard. The problem he had is that he was aiming at the wrong target. Instead of aiming at the target in lane two, he was aiming at the target in lane three. A lot of us in our spiritual life, it could be that we're aiming at the wrong target. We're working hard, we're dedicated, we're committed, but we're focused so much on our actions that our relationship with the Lord is almost non-existent. Listen, more important than your actions, more important than your service, where's your heart at? Are you spending time with the Lord on a regular basis? How's your prayer life? Are you communicating with the Lord every day? Pouring your heart out to him. We looked at Psalm 63 earlier. Is that your heart to the Lord? Lord, I need you. I want more of you. Lord, I cannot live without you. Martin Luther said this. He said, I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. Do not forsake me. For if I ever should be on my own, I would easily wreck it all. He says, I need you. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about it in your life. Two things we've looked at. One, to abandon legalism. Legalism is where we begin to look at all that we've done and we feel superior because of it. We feel this sense of accomplishment. Look what I've earned. We get prideful because of it. I'm better than others. We've got to abandon that idea. Fall before the Lord. Realize he's the one that's done this for us. Abandon legalism and then passionately pursue Jesus. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I know I need to pursue him on a greater level. But how do I do that? Well, it could be this new year that you make a commitment. I'm going to. I'm going to read my Bible. That's how the Lord speaks to us. That is his divine revelation. I'm going to make a point to read my Bible every day. If you miss a day, that's okay. Start again the next day. Spend time in this word. That's how he speaks to us. Maybe you say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend an extra five minutes a day in prayer, seeking after the Lord. Maybe you make a commitment this morning. You say, I'm going to use my gifts this year. I've gotten lazy. I'm not doing much for the kingdom of God, but that changes here and it changes now. I want to seek the Lord with all that I am. Take a moment and pray in your heart. Lord, what do you want out of me? What do you want out of my life? Now pray this. Lord, would you put a passion in my heart for you? Lord, would you put a zeal in my heart like I've never had before? Lord, would you let 2022 be a year that I can't even imagine? Would you use me? I know I've not got all the greatest gifts, talents, and abilities, but Lord, would you use me? Because I want to seek after you in a great way. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these who have come. 
early on this cold Sunday morning. I pray you'll bless them. Lord, I pray you've challenged us. I pray you'll show us ways in our heart that we are legalistic. Lord, and I pray you'll show us ways that we need to become more passionate. Open our hearts, Lord. Let us to see where we are and what you want out of us. Let us not to be so focused on what we're doing, but let us to be focused on you. Lord, I pray that we're aiming at the right target. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.